0: Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Has your child been recommended for or diagnosed with a need for a psychiatric drug? It's an interesting over the last couple of decades. I remember when I was in grade school, heading into high school, and I remember even in college seeing peers, friends, and even college roommates, the significant moods, mood swings, personality changes and change of behavior when they were on versus not on different psychiatric drugs that they had been given for things such as ADHD. We're going to dive into this topic. It's a big one. In there seems to be this overdiagnosis of psychiatric drugs for children today, especially young boys. My guest in just a little bit from Able Child will join me to dive into this topic in a way perhaps you've never looked at before. So stay with me in just a few minutes as we will discuss that. Also, if you are, if you're a parent who is trying to navigate maybe the public school system. This is where you have to be, whether by choice or necessity, and yet you don't fully trust what's happening in the public school. You're concerned about let's be honest, your kids being brainwashed, your kids uh, having your uh, principles undermined by school educators, your own religion uh, being undermined by school educators. Is there anything you can do in the public school system? I actually have some great resources for you today from my guest, Able Child, Sheila Matthews. So those will be resources that we'll dive into. Also, we're taking a deep dive later today into the topic of surrogacy. I love to talk about surrogacy because I think there are so many wonderful pieces of information that are helpful for people struggling with infertility that isn't surrogacy. And we have a lot of information to set the record straight for the impact of surrogacy negatively on women and children. So we're bringing this topic back up as Pope Francis has called for a universal ban on surrogacy. Interestingly, the United States is the most permissive, practically no regulations on surrogacy and IVF here in the United States, and we'll dive into that a little later here on the show. You're listening to Trending with Timory. mentioned earlier, I saw my peers both in grade school up into through college, even my own college roommates, seeing Major changes in their behavior, mood, and personality when they were versus were not on psychiatric drugs. It seems to be there's a massive overdiagnosis of psychiatric drugs today for children. My guest today is the of an organization called Able Child. You can find them at ablechild.org and their parents rights organization. We love that. We believe in parents rights. Sheila Matthews, I became familiar with during one of the most recent tragic school shootings, uh, connecting the use of psychiatric drugs with those people who are killing children and others in these massacres. And today what I want to dive into is the overdiagnosis of psychiatric drugs. Sheila, welcome to Trending.
1: Thank you so much for having Able Child on. We're delighted to be here.
0: Sheila, today it seems like every child, especially boys, are labeled with ADHD. I don't buy it. It seems to be a pretty easy checklist to be classified as needing a psychiatric drug today. And I just want to see... In your research, I was really astonished by some of what I heard and some of your work that you've been doing for a couple decades now about the bigger picture of what's going on both in the schools and with kids. Can you enlighten us?
1: Sure. Able Child was named after President Eisenhower's Able Child back in 1958, believe it or not. My research led to that there were children that were not succeeding in school and they were they were given grants through the federal government for the able child. They wanted to make sure these children succeeded. And what has happened is that the mental health industry has really taken over these grants and relabeled, re-identified these children. And like you mentioned, the checklist is very, it's very general. And basically it actually mirrors that of the gifted child. Easily uh, distracted um, and doesn't focus. And that's, believe it or not, is uh, very much similar to President Eisenhower's evil child. So the checklist itself is very subjective. And the difference is President Eisenhower wanted to increase education through science and reading and math. However, the mental health industry wants to sell drugs to these children, um, very dangerous psychiatric drugs. So there's a huge difference in how this checklist is used within the public education system.
0: Where should we begin talking about the lack of scientific basis, as you argue, behind these checklists or the government programs? I'd like to touch on both of these.
1: Sure. Um, the subjectivity of the labels—it's uh, actually voted in by a group of psychiatrists. So there's no blood test, there's no brain scan, there's no way to verify whether your child has this, um, d- these disorders. And the psychiatric industry has a billing bible, which is called the a DMS, the uh, DSM. Rather, um, And that's where they bill the government for all these different services they provide for the child. So it's a big windfall for the behavioral health industry. And so these children are often identified um, at about seven years old at their critical time where they're just learning about themselves and they're entering the school system. And like you said in the opening, boys are much more apt to be identified as having these disorders because they're, they're, they just develop differently. They wanna be out in the field, they wanna be chasing balls, and, and they just develop so much differently than uh, little girls do, and they're much more vulnerable.
0: So what was interesting to me that really kind of blew the whistle in my mind when you were talking recently in an interview I listened to was the connection with government programs, how Congress and Senate give funding to diagnose children off this checklist that really doesn't give strong guidelines for anything like medically that actually is going on other than unruly active kids who struggle to pay attention. As you mentioned, these are often kids who are more gifted than others, just saying. Uh, But here's the deal. What shook me was that the more kids you and if you could explain this more, the more kids who are on psychiatric drugs, the more an individual school receives funding from the state. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. So if you're a school that is accepting um, grants from the federal and state government, uh, they are geared towards giving funding to the school based off of the increased diagnosing of these children. So they apply for mental health grants. Now, attention deficit disorder is not a real thing. It is a research, it's human research. So the research started in the National Institute of Mental Health and the grants go on for 30 years and they're well funded. And then the parents do not know that they're participating in this um, human research. So the schools get more funding, and then after each one of these tragedies, these um, mass killings, um, the behavioral health industry goes flooding into the zone and asks, oh, these children aren't getting enough attention. They need more mental health services. So they continually sell these disorders to the um, state and federal government, and they often Present very flawed data. Like they present suicide statistics, but they don't include the amount of children that are already on these drugs. So um, it's very fraudulent, and Able Child has been trying to educate the lawmakers on this exact data.
0: Can you flip this topic on its back? Because I first heard you recently during one of the tragic shootings in. You're making the connection about the work you've been doing for years and going all the way back even to Sandy Hook and some of the other major massacres of children who are killed by, if not a minor, but some form of an adolescent who you say there's much to be said behind the psychiatric drugs and drug cocktails that these kids are on when they go and kill mass numbers of children. Can you speak and kind of explain this whole connection for those who maybe
1: are completely unaware of it? Yes, it's uh, very sad because these children, like in Sandy Hook, Able Child worked on that uh, investigation for over a year. And uh, the treating psychiatrist's name was withheld by the state of Connecticut, Dr. Paul Fox, and other families were coming to Able Child and saying that psychiatrist drugged my child to the point where Uh, my child was brain damaged and couldn't leave the house. So we were getting flooded with complaints about um, different psychiatrists that were involved um, in the Sandy Hook um, uh, diagnosing of Adam Lanza. And so that was a big red flag for us. So we called the state and we ended up getting uh, Dr. Paul Fox arrested and that never made the news because they have a different agenda. And if they, out the psychiatrist and force the psychiatrist to come up and speak about the mental health treatment, they will find that these kids are often put on a cocktail of psychiatric drugs that are not FDA approved for interacting with each other. So you have uh, Paxil, you have Effexor, you have Lexapro, and sometimes these kids are on all three of these drugs. And certainly that is the case in foster care as well. So our last um uh, mass killing in maine that we were working on and this is now an adult so they're drugging everyone uh it turns out that he also was seen by a mental health uh treatment center and we're still trying to get the records so the common link is that these um, mass killers have been treated by psychiatry psychiatry is human research it is you know they have legitimized themselves, and we have no, ABLE Child has no um, problem with anybody seeking mental health services, but we work on informed consent, so we want parents to be aware that this is human research, and there's a million different ways to get mental health treatment. It doesn't have to be through psychiatry. Well,
0: and I think this brings, fake- yes. Right. And I think this brings I want to touch on some of those other resources in a moment, but it brings, I think, a keen topic up for many parents who I hear from all the time, who they have a child who was diagnosed with a need for or a reason for some reason to take a psychiatric drug and the parent had hesitation. Maybe they went in that direction and to this day they feel uncomfortable. Maybe, and I hear stories like this all the time, they refuse such as you and others do with Able Child and 20 years later they share how successful their children are yet at that time teachers were telling them that if your child does not go on this particular drug this child cannot be educated here. And so they're actually withholding education from children. Today, over this specific issue,
1: that's correct. Able Child testified on the prohibition of mandatory medication. So that's against the law. They can't say to you, if you don't put your child on Paxil or Effexor, he can't come to school or she can't come to school. So Able Child was on the forefront with many other organizations um, that. Um, worked on that piece of legislation. Um, so you're absolutely right. Um, there are alternatives and, um, you know, parents are being coerced into placing their children on these psychiatric drugs, because there's a, a 504 in special education that the drug companies actually really lobbied for. And that means that we can identify your child with th- these mental, Um, health, uh, these um, mental disorders, and then you'll get special accommodations. So the parents actually think they're doing a good thing. So, uh, you know, little Johnny or Susie will get extra time on the test. But in essence, you're really giving your soul of your child away to the psychiatric and the behavioral health industry, because that label stays on your child for the rest of your child's life. It can never be removed. And, um, it's a cycle of doom, really, to be honest with you, of, of the parents I've worked with, um, it's these drugs are very addicting. There's the Berkeley study that says they're a gateway drug to, um, to drug use. so i've I've sadly heard from um, families that have children that are young adults now that, like you were saying that you don't recognize your college students anymore, and mm-hmm. they're mixing these drugs with drinking. And, you know, Mm. you've got these kids on Adderall and then they're going out binge drinking on the weekends. So, you know, this is an epidemic and it's urgent. It's urgent that we have this discussion. And it's, you know, you're it's not easy to have this discussion. And I, I thank you.
0: I'm glad you mentioned Adderall because I find that's one of the most common ones I'm seeing today for many kids. And you hadn't really mentioned it much up until this point because it just left and right when I've taught when I both in the physical activity area, as well as in working just with minors, Adderall is so prevalent today. Can you comment a little bit on it?
1: Yes, um, Adderall is one of the drugs that um, the kids have uh, sell outside on the playgrounds, and um, it is it is a form of um, cocaine. It is um, it is a stimulant. It keeps kids up at night, um, and that it's just uh, um, there's heart issues associated. Your heart is racing, and it's speed. And so um, Adderall is a common, um, I hear the same t- same thing too. And we were told a lie, you know, we were told that there's these kids have chemical imbalances. That has not been uh, proven to be true. That is a marketing campaign. And um, they were able to sell parents this idea that um, by taking Adderall, you're going to, uh, your child's gonna be more successful. It's simply not true.
0: Let's talk a little bit about solutions. And if you're just joining me, I'm joined today by Sheila Matthews. She's the founder of Able Child. You can find them at ablechild.org. It's a parents' rights organization. And we're talking about solutions because I think this is the challenge. A lot of parents are finding their kids are being diagnosed by the school with a need for some type of psychiatric drug a lot of parents have hesitation maybe they started it maybe they didn't maybe they're seeing their kid with different mood and personality and behaviors after starting the drug what are solutions outside of taking these drugs and how do you work with the school as
1: well Sure. Uh, there are so many solutions. There's speech and language, which really helps with my son at the age of seven. So, um, you know, sequencing seems to be a big issue with these children. They can't see cause and effect and um, their sequencing is out of order. So speech and language is really we need to train more people instead of training them in mental health. We need to train them in um in speech and language that's number one because it's a community your behavior is totally related to how you communicate so that's the number one thing is we're teaching teachers the wrong way because um of the influence of the pharmaceutical companies and then as far as There's a great letter that parents can put in their children's file. It's called the Hatch Amendment. And um, basically, it's a very friendly letter. And it says, I don't want my child participating in any mental health evaluations. The way the government is set up is that you're already opt into these programs. You have to actually opt out. And so this letter, the Hatch Amendment, you can find on Able child under LEARN tab is you um, fill it out and it's it's saying I don't want to be involved in any psychiatric programs. It also helps for all the sexualization that's going on in the school. I really urge parents to read it because it could solve a multiple of problems that we're having in the school system. Mm-hmm. So that's the number one is informed consent. So each year, each year you print this letter out, you put it in your child's folder and they have to call you and tell you we're learning this in school today and then they have to make alternative arrangements for the children that don't want to participate in the sexualization or any of the um, psychiatric-based um, suicide uh, surveys, anything like that, death talk, um, that, that's something a family does. And then, you know, I can't, you know, being on this station is just so amazing for able Child because my heart is so filled with God. I cannot tell you the connection that we have to start connecting our children very early to, to God and the power mm-hmm. that he has for us in our hearts. And, and um, it's very difficult to connect with these children once they're on these psychiatric drugs, any kind of um discussion and connection to the higher power. So, uh, there's faith-based solutions. There's counseling that doesn't involve the psychiatric industry. You don't have to be certified as a psychiatrist to counsel somebody. That's a myth. You know, you have to have a caring heart and, um, so i'm very grateful to be on this on this show today because god is missing from our lives and we have to fight for god we have to um, we really we need to do that because uh, the schools are not going to do that for us and informed consent is allowing you to make decisions because you're fully aware of the impact that those decisions are going to uh, take your child to and and it's a dark place psychiatry it's not a um, a good place. I, I I do not care for the industry. Um, I do have a a really good article on a whistleblower teacher that worked with an autistic child and the parents had tried the drugs and, um, they said in the meeting, they didn't want to do the drugs. They couldn't recognize their son anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: um, and, um, you know, they, we, they said, we accept him the way he is. Mm -hmm. And so, um you know this teacher was the first because they're they're telling us this is not happening that the that the schools are not diagnosing these children and it simply is a lie they are so i urge people to read my whistleblower article under um articles um and that's where all my writing is about mashed uh killings um and so um there's a lot of solutions yeah Yeah, it's able
0: That's ablechild.org. We'll post a link to some of the resources. We're going to dive a little deeper into the Hatch Amendment, and that is a resource. But just my big takeaway on this that I think is so key is understanding that link that Congress and Senate give funding to diagnose children off of a checklist. And that the more kids in the school system, specifically the public school system or any school that is receiving government funding, that they receive more money for every single child that's on some sort of psychiatric drug. And that means that there's a vested interest in drugging your children. I mean, that's the bottom line here. And as Catholics here, I think the really key takeaway is we remember as parents, our Catholic church teaches that we're the primary educators of our kids. Parents know the best for their children. They need to go with their guts. They have their child's best personal interests in mind. And we need to help have that perspective for the schools where kids may be educated that the schools are at the aid of the parents and that the parents are in charge of their children's education. That's Sheila Matthews. She's the founder of ABLE Child, a parents' rights organization. We're going to come back talking about the Hatch Amendment. I know you mentioned it just a moment ago, Sheila, as a great resource for helping your kid to be able to opt out of any mental health evaluations, suicide surveys, death talk, a lot of this gender type of uh, issues. And we'll dive a little bit more into that in just a moment here with Sheila Matthews from ablechild.org. playing some Christmas music here because we're in the Christmas season depending on what liturgical calendar you're looking at until February 2nd which I love because that's my anniversary the end of the Christmas season for us but joining me today on Trending is Sheila Matthews she's the founder of a parents rights organization called Able Child an excellent resource you can find them at ablechild.org and we were diving into the overdiagnosis of psychiatric drugs for children, especially boys, before. If you missed the segment, please go listen to the podcast, relevantradio.com forward slash trending. Or wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. Now, we're linking to all of these resources we're mentioning. One great resource, among many, that they have at ablechild.org is the Hatch Amendment Model Letter. Now, this is excellent, Sheila, because I know a lot of parents have completely opted out of public school, uh, even opted into homeschooling people who never thought that would be homeschooling or homeschooling their kids. And it's not just public schools, it's private schools as well. But the Hatch Amendment is a great model. You have a letter and we're going to make it available on social media as well as in the episode notes where we're tagging Able Child as well for navigating really how to protect your kids. There's a lot of concern over exposure in schools of what kids are seeing, especially sexually today, uh, the concern over the undermining of parents, the undermining of values, especially religious and moral values, and frankly, the outright brainwashing of children. Now, you tie this into the psychiatric area and the overdiagnosis of children today, Sheila. The Hatch Amendment in this letter that you guys propose is a game changer for parents. I want to hear if you can explain what it is, but I'm also curious to see if you know how effective it is that the schools are actually honoring this letter as well.
1: Really great cre- uh, questions. Yeah. Uh, the Hatch Amendment was uh, put together by Senator Orrin Hatch, and it was his le- one of his really big legacy um, um pieces and able child stumbled upon it when we were trying to figure out how we can protect parents and um so it's put together to have you file in your in your uh child's folder each year it is only as effective as you use it um i used it in my son's um file. And I highly suggest that p- everything on Able Child's website is free and it is to be passed down from parent to parent. And, um, it's important to print this out and show it to other parents. So you only know how effective it is unless you try it. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's difficult because, you know, we have a limited exposure, able child. We do work around the country, but a lot of parents uh, don't know about the secret weapon. You know, it's, it's your right to put it in your child's folder. And the more parents that that do it, the more power you're going to, you're going to have. It's so much better than burning and banning books because it's, it's it really says we want to be put in a different situation this is our right so um it it has been effective for parents one-on-one when um they call me i usually answer like if somebody texts me and they have a concern i usually try to get right back to them and i recommend this Uh, so if there's a, a pta groups uh, the association of school psychology is the only organization that is allowed to operate in public school systems so able child isn't in the schools you know and the association of school psychology deals directly with psychiatry so it's it's a very slanted information distribution that the parents are getting in the schools there it's coming from the drug companies right into your school through the association of School psychology so we need to work on legislation that kind of breaks that monopoly up you know i do respect um able child co-founder homeschooled her son i mean and she didn't think she could do it and he's brilliant now um, i i I didn't do that. I opted to put this in my son's folder and, um, and parents know they get a lot of calls about their children's behavior and, um, having one of these, um, this document in your, in your file your child's file protects your rights. So I, I'm can hoping more people the learn. Letter.
0: Yeah, let's talk about what's actually in the letter. I know you guys have a sample. We're po- we post a link to it on social media as well as in the episode notes for this episode. But can you give an example of what it's saying you want to opt out of and how they're supposed to be contacting you to preview content in that case?
1: Sure. Uh, basically, it describes all the different um, uh, programs that uh, the the sexualization of um of your children so it's very well written and it's not it's not um something that is going to uh, upset i mean the school doesn't like to get the letters um because they feel like um you were challenging them but the well the way the letter is written it is a very soft written letter uh, that Orrin Hatch, um, put together. So it's a very soft language. Like we appreciate you as a school. And then it's written, um, you know, to take out different sections of any kind of sexual discussion, any, um, you know, mock death um, uh, issues. Uh, you, you could go on and read it. I, I actually don't have it right in front of me, but it's very well written and it's very softly put, um, and you can customize it. You know, um, it's a very friendly letter. And if you go in the beginning of the year and you put it in your child's folder and you have the discussion and you say, listen, this is not something I believe in. And, um, I'd like a phone call. Usually they'll call you with my son. They, they, um, uh, called me before the, um, different elective came into the classroom. And then my son would go to, um, the gym and they would have um you know basketball skill practice i mean you're not missing anything in that class you're missing talk about suicide talk about sexuality and talk about um all things that you don't want so while they're doing that you your child could be you know working on you know skills in the gym you know which is working on your physical being you know so um I highly recommend it and um, it'd be great if parents, we don't have chapters around the country and we do that for a specific reason because they can be infiltrated. And um, so we prefer to give the, all the documents we've worked so hard on for two decades directly to parents and there's no charge for it. So, and I pretty much respond if somebody has a question, I, I get back to them within 24 hours.
0: This is a great resource and- to have in your child's school uh, school file, making sure that you are being consulted with regard to curriculum on topics that matter, gender, sexuality, suicide, uh, psychiatric evaluations, these things that parents should know about ahead of time, but schools just aren't letting you know about. And some people are being told in various states, well, these things you can't opt out of. It's not true. And I think that that's what's key is that you're setting the precedence for seeing that yet again and continuing to be so, parents are the primary educators of their children. Now, I know that you have had examples where you were contacted specifically, Sheila, when there was something listed in that letter that was being addressed in school, and so they had to contact you. Your son was pulled out of that particular class. Do you find that today most parents are finding success with having a Hatch Amendment letter on file in the public schools or with this kind of massive disregard for parents? Is this letter are also being disregarded in those cases?
1: The, once the parents files the letter, they the school backs off and the school um, will not really uh, force your child into it. Um, they certainly are not educating you on this right. This is a right that you have. It's part of a federal law that says you're allowed to look at all the curriculum and that you can opt out of it. And so the letter has the ability to ensure that the school contacts you prior to any activity that calls into question your family values. Parents have the right to be assured that the schools do not unknowingly or knowingly impair or weaken the student's belief, moral values, and belief systems within his or her family unit by uh, filing the simple letter you retain power and protect your child within the public education system. So on my website, there's an egg and it's, I, I, you know, it's like uh, based on the hatch egg. And so the more you open this and you read it and you file it, I, I do believe in my history of working with parents over the last two decades, they will not they will not approach you in an adversarial way. I think that it's a very mature letter. It's, um, it's your right to file it in your child's folder. And, um, that's what able child's going to be doing in the next, um, several months. We're going to Tennessee to work on legislation there. We have a petition on our website. Um, we have, um, a PSA that kind of explains like the beginning part of our uh, talk here today is the power behind the behavioral health and the mass killings that are happening and how they're blaming it on the guns. And so that PSA is very good. And then we have a petition that we, we, we really need parents to sign because we need 10,000 signatures to start working on legislation um, to get some federal hearings on this. And, I, I, you know, we need to get support to teach parents that this is your right to have this letter. Um, if, if you don't know about it, like MedWatch, and we didn't really get into that, like if you are, if your child is on a psychiatric drug now, you have the right to file a MedWatch if your child has an adverse event. And these are the programs that are set up for the consumer, but the parent, our government is not educating the consumer mm-hmm. and the parents on these things. And that's our job as a nonprofit is Great to do research. that.
0: Great resources at ablechild.org. That's Sheila Matthews, the founder. So many great pieces of information to help equip parents, inform parents, and help them to navigate these difficult waters of education, pharmaceutical drugs, and so forth. And also, I love that you also recommended that you can report on the findings of what's happening in your child. Uh, So please check out their work at ablechild.org. We're including links in the episode notes as well as on social media and tagging Able Child. Just find me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, to catch those links. We'll be right back here on Trending to dive into the topic of surrogacy. (music) Surrogacy. This week, Pope Francis has called for a universal ban on surrogacy because it exploits the mom and the child. And in this case, when we're talking about surrogacy, it's exploiting a whole lot of people from the donor donating person who would be considered mom, the woman who is the gestational carrier who would be considered the gestational mother, the person who is hiring for this child to be conceived, which could be considered the legal mother, and then not to mention all the dads that could be involved in this entire situation, it gets complicated. And this is a topic I think that we should discuss more because it's easy to discuss. It's a very pro-woman issue, not to mention pro-baby. And we love babies. We're pro-life. We're Catholic. And so here's the deal. Just thinking about surrogacy, this is how mainstream it has become, and it's unfathomable. We've had people such as Lance Bash, uh, Khloe Kardashian, Kim Kardashian, and many others. We discuss them here on Trending, sharing their surrogacy stories. Many of whom, for example, most recently over the last six months would include former singer from NSYNC, Lance Bass, along with Khloe Kardashian, talking about how transactional surrogacy was, how damaging it was in the case of Lance Bash, sharing that the children that were commissioned to be brought into this world via surrogate because he's in a same-sex relationship that the children didn't want anything to do with him that they only wanted the female affection of some of his for example female family members such as his mother and that there was a really difficult time bonding and meeting the needs of that child Khloe kardashian commented on how uncomfortable she was when she shows up at the hospital and essentially is taking and ripping that child out of the arms of the mother who carried that baby during that time and the damage that was done to the baby in doing so. Now, every time I bring up this topic, people want to say, well, what about adoption? Let's be really clear here. Adoption is an excellent and life-saving thing for children that helps give a child whose mother or father chose to place their children for adoption because they could not meet the needs of their children. And so, A mom and dad can come in and help meet those needs and fill the role that the biological parents couldn't. Totally different from a child who is commissioned with the intention of being literally ripped from the arms of the person who gestated that baby and bonded with that baby for nine months, and also who may never have a relationship with the mother because with the biological mother, who is considered just a donor along with the father who's maybe just considered a donor, because then you can also have the legal parents, the parents who commission the child. There are a lot of messy pieces in the whole journey of surrogacy, and it's bad for babies, bottom line, and it's bad for the moms who are going through the process as well. Even when there's this deeply held desire to have a child, it's not the solution to infertility. It's not the solution to wanting children on your terms without impacting your baby or your health. Now, let's discuss how relevant this issue is and how common it is with surrogacy. I remember back in 2012, uh, some of my more common like day-to-day experiences with surrogacy. At the time, I was working in the pregnancy resource centers, and as I was working there, I remember in our own just local Catholic community, there were a couple of women at the local Catholic church who didn't like to go through pregnancy, and so they chose to hire out surrogates to gestate, carry all of that, the baby, and they would just go to the hospital and pick up the new baby and celebrate the new baby. Now, we celebrate every single new life that comes into this world. However, that doesn't mean that we agree with the way in which new life is brought into this world, because it can be damaging for the child. In fact, you put a child at great risk of being aborted because the process of surrogacy and in vitro fertilization very commonly and more often than not usually include abortion under the guise of quote selective reduction. I remember in 2012, I was studying various moral and religious philosophies that were being pushed in popular TV shows. And at the time, Glee was all the rage still. That seems like such a long time ago. And I sat there watching a couple episodes of Glee begrudgingly with a notebook and pen, taking notes and doing some research. And one big takeaway then in 2012 was the new normal that was being pushed by writers of Glee and Modern Family and some of those other shows. And the message was this that anyone can have children, that surrogacy is normal, that a gay couple and a mother who is to be the surrogate of their mother child, that's all normal. I remember a year or two after that sitting in a coffee shop playing cards with my sister as a young woman actually she was Asian, was being recruited by a hospital to be a surrogate. She didn't speak English. She was being exploited by people in the medical industry. And in fact, unfortunately, by someone working for a Catholic hospital to be a surrogate, to actually step in. And here's what's so sad is I was so shocked by the conversation I was hearing. I didn't even think to say something because my jaw was literally dropped. Like I'm just sitting here listening to this three people next to me, an interpreter, a medical professional from a, medical, from a Catholic hospital, unfortunately, and which, by the way, Catholic Church is completely against surrogacy. This is why the Pope is calling for an ending universally of surrogacy to see this woman exploited, And it wasn't until after the fact, I realized, oh my goodness, even though there's no language barrier, something could have been said to these people. Not that it would have helped, but still, this was a woman being clearly exploited. Now, the latest headline this week coming across my desk, actually this morning, is an extreme example of surrogacy. But I think, as gruesome and as extreme as this is, it gives us a taste as to how unchild oriented surrogacy is. It's not pro child. Here's the headline A 62 year old widow hopes to create a baby using her dead husband's sperm and a surrogate. This is actually a really sad story. The woman recently lost her husband, and her two children are deceased, died actually in their mid to late 20s, and so she has no family. Her husband's deceased, her two two children died, and so she worked with the judge in Australia who granted her permission to have the sperm retrieved from her dead husband's body that was being held in a morgue if you're cringing already, this is cringeworthy. This is a total violation of the dead. It goes against just any basic human respect. So here's the deal. There's debate right now over whether or not this should be used in Australia by physicians and therapists. Uh, Should we be using the sperm of a deceased person? person? There's much to be discussed there. But here's the deal. We're playing with the fragility of human life. And In this specific case, a man who is later in life and commonly beyond what's normal for childbearing years, although he can still produce sperm, has a much higher rate of a child who will have chromosomal abnormalities due to the age of the sperm donor. And so, what's frightening about this in the case of surrogacy? We're creating life artificially, And we're creating life with sperm that is more apt to lead to some sort of genetic defect, a chromosomal defect in the child. Well, why is this frightening? Because in the cases of surrogacy and in vitro fertilization, abortion is mainstream. They call it, quote, selective reduction. And abortion is used to reduce those children who are predicted via various genetic tests to be less than, quote, average or normal, according to those tests. Now, we celebrate and bring into the world every human life, no matter what a medical diagnosis may be, because we don't believe in killing babies before waiting and seeing what happens. And we don't believe in killing babies after they come outside of the womb, which all of us agree with. So why would we kill them inside the womb if there's something going on that is detrimental? So here's the deal. Not only this case that is just bizarre, but this child will absolutely never know his or her father if conceived. Probably won't ever know the egg donor, obviously, but definitely not the father because the sperm was retrieved from a dead man. This is the epitome of consumer designer babies. Now, what's frightening? Drive this home to the United States. The United States is a free-for-all when it comes to the surrogacy and IVF industry. In the United States, we are the most irregulated in the world when it comes to creating life to destroy it and creating life to buy and sell it. This is the trafficking of children. And the fertility industry is a $50 billion industry. It's a dirty secret of what's happening. In fact, it's the fertility industry that's fighting heavily right now behind the scenes quietly as various states pass pro-life laws to protect moms and babies because it's violating their business practices. But let's discuss surrogacy just a little bit more because I think this is really important. Surrogacy, not always, is often a last resort for many people who are struggling, struggling with fertility. I've shared my story here. Many of my loved ones are struggling or have with the ability to conceive children. And I get it. That desire for a child is so deep. And in fact, for many women, it can even be stronger than for a desire for a husband or the person you marry. That's how deeply this desire for children is ingrained in women. But surrogacy preys on the backs of the most vulnerable. In fact, I have, the day I got married, the woman who did my hair for my wedding was actually sharing about her financial struggles and ended up sharing that she was taking shots and preparing her body to become a surrogate because she needed money. And she was trying to find a way to do it that was conducive for her family. This is rent a body, but you can't just rent a body. In this case, a surrogacy, when you rent a body, it's supernaturally, artificially, should I say, creating the situation for a child that is not naturally, is not a natural process that's been gone through. And so the likelihood to miscarry, the likelihood for that child to die along the process is much higher. It's damaging for the surrogate psychologically as well. If you follow some of these major stories in the media now, which I find really intriguing, they're all over Instagram, YouTube, you name it. And over and over again, you follow these stories as if it's the dream, the greatest gift in the whole wide world, which, Children are, but what we fail to follow and discuss enough is the woman who carried that child and how severe her postpartum depression is, how she is left at the end of the day without a baby who she bonded with for nine months. Not to mention the fact that that child who's bonded with the mother, become familiar with the voice of the mother, has literally been taken from that mother. Totally different from adoption where that mother could not parent that child and other people are coming in to fill the void versus in the case of surrogacy, that child is being created to be taken from ever knowing relationship often with their biological mother or father because they're just called donors or even with the woman who carried them. Now, that brings us to this, to the impact of surrogacy on the infant. It's a legal contract at the beginning of the story before a life is even conceived to commission a mother to carry a baby to term and remove the baby from his or her stable environment where that child has been bonding for nine months. I mentioned earlier the story is of Khloe Kardashian and she commented on how transactional and not right it was and how she was being honest about it after she experienced the situation and she wished other people were too. In fact, she even called out her own sister, Kim Kardashian, for not sharing more. Lance Bash that his children didn't want him for the full first year because they only wanted female attention, which they only got on occasion from grandma. Here's the bottom line. Surrogacy may produce a baby, which we absolutely celebrate the life of that child, but it's not good for mom. It's not good for the surrogate, and it's not good for the baby, psychologically or physically, across the board. Not to mention that abortion is usually part of the process under the guise of, quote, selective reduction, because multiple babies are created outside of the womb to try to get a fighting chance that some of them might survive because we're playing with very fragile human life. Now, the Catholic Church teaches that every human life is a gift from God meant to be brought into this world through the intimate marital act of a husband and a wife. Any other means to conceive a child does not give the child their rightful dignity of conception or their natural right to their biological mother and father. In addition, surrogacy and IVF, it objects, it objectifies the woman as an object to produce children and it reduces children to be consumed by others in a way that doesn't build up children as it ought or build up moms or parents as it should. There are resources for struggling with infertility and we'll talk about that tomorrow here on Trending.